And ladies and gentlemen, he's one of the all-time greats, my buddy, Mr. John Wayne. You're listening to the John Wayne Gritcast with me, Ethan Wayne. The hell I was We're talking all about the life and legacy of my father. John Wayne. Mr. John Wayne. John Wayne is the United States of America. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. How did you and Michael cross paths? Well, yeah, that's a big story. You ready for that? <laughs> huh? Um, yeah. Uh, let me tell you a story. I came out here in 1957, graduated from medical school. I was an intern at L.A. County. And while I'm an intern, uh, Nick Adams was a classmate of mine oh, in, yeah. in okay. grammar school. His mother and my grandmother came from the same city in the Ukraine. Wow. So Nick Adams, Nick Adams had stayed at Josephine's house for a while. And so she knew Josephine. So she comes out here and she says to me, do you know anybody here? So I'm working my rear end off. I don't know anybody. So she says, you need to meet some people. So she takes me over and says, hi, this is Josephine Wayne. Josephine says, what are you doing? I'm an intern at L.A. County. She says, oh, i got kids here. Come over. I'll make you a din dinner if you need one. And you can hang out with my kids and watch television. So I did that occasionally. I, not, I was busy. So now I get a call from Josephine. Big party. So come over to the party. So I go over there. There's Loretta Young, Ricardo Bonabon, and some other dignitaries. And I'm from New Jersey. I think, well, this is Hollywood. This is what happens everywhere. So <laughs> this goes on. Six months later, I'm at another party, and I'm doing the I have to pee dance, you know, and she, Josephine says, oh, they're busy, go upstairs. I go upstairs, and there's a big picture of John Wayne in the hall, and I thought, Josephine Wayne? John Wayne? Maybe, I wonder if they're associated. I go down, I say, Josephine, there's a picture of John Wayne up there. Is it, are you somehow, she says, I thought you knew I'm his first wife. Oh my I gosh. I said, what do I know? I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> Oh, my God. I, I, I said, I honestly had no concept you were related at all. So I went to several parties at Josephine's, and then when Melinda graduated, I was invited to a graduation party. The first time I met John Wayne was when he brought Melinda a car for graduation, and I met him that, I met him that night. He wow. would have nothing. So Michael and I became friends. We used to go out at bars and drink and carouse, we'll go to flamingo dancing. Wow. And, and I, I mean, Michael was really fun. I mean, and then I, when Michael got engaged to, Dret, to Gretchen, Bonnie and I, my first wife, went to, uh, we went to his engagement party at Bob Hope's house. Wow. And so we went to the beach, to the Jonathan Club at uh, Santa Monica with Gretchen and Michael, lay down on the beach. And Michael and I got to be pretty close. Oh, and we also had a mutual interest in our favorite subject, firearms, right? Yeah. And so, uh, anyway. Oh, look at that. Remember this. A 17, a 17 does not go in on a 19, but a 19 can go into a 17. Oh, I see. So right, well, anyway, so Michael and I... So Michael and I... Michael and I... familiar? Oh, Yeah. Oh, sure. That's the one you had done for me. Yep. That was a, a Ray Korn special. Ray Korn, yeah. These are unique yeah. guns. I mean, these things at the range are super. I mean, every Kurt Keller says the same thing. He says the trigger actions on these are unique. He said, I love them. 
it's uh it's a bit light compared to a rock or anything else <laughs> but anyway uh, that was so michael and i were, were we, even when i when when michael got married i was at his wedding and i was at uh, melinda's wedding and when we moved down here michael i told michael i'm i'm going down to to uh, newport i had a friend of mine down here from la county I didn't have a nickel in my pocket, and the guy said, "Move into my office." He said, "When you make money, then you start pay. You got to pay your house rent first. When you take care of that, when you're making enough, you can. We can then split the office." The name was George Husband. He was a good friend of mine, a genius, medical genius. So I started taking care of your dad, and. It got to be not only was he a patient, but he became quickly a friend. He yeah. was the kind of guy, he just was a friend. He was a bright man, extremely intelligent. He had a fund of knowledge about politics, geography, anything. So he was always fun to talk to. So then he would invite me down to his house, and if I wasn't didn't have a patient at Hogue to see at night, I'd stop by for a drink on my way home because it was a, almost a direct swing. Yeah, And so... I started following his medical care, and then we had an interesting scene where everyone in the house started to get strep throat, beta strep, everybody. My, at our house? Your house, down on, yeah. on, on Bay Shores. Uh, we had recurrent strep throats, Wayne, Pilar, everybody was getting strep throat. So I was looking at that, how the hell is that happening? I thought, well, he's got a lot of people coming and going. So I went down there, and you had an Akita there, a white Akita. Oh, yeah. And the dog was running around licking everybody. And I said to, to your, your father, take him to the vets and have him cultured just for fun. And I've never heard of this, but that's the only thing I can see that's in common is the dog licking everybody. The dog had beta strep. We treated the whole house, and the beta strep went away. Wow. <laughs> That was the dog. That was Frosty. Now, oh, Frosty right, would Akita. let anybody come in the yard or in the house. But if you tried to go out the yard, we had a long yeah. side yard on, yeah. the, on the house. You'd have to freaking spot that dog and then make sure you had enough room to run to the gate and get out because the dog would attack you. And yeah, out. he was. Everybody. I'm surprised that he Us. kept he kept him that long. <laughs> he got Chick. Chick had a thick leather jacket on. The dog caught the leather jacket. Just as but this 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 gate. guy is Dr. Kapler was the first one he saw, and he thought the guy was a nutcase. So that was when he called Michael and said, "I've got some guy. I don't like him. He makes me very uncomfortable." He was a patient of mine. And he was a strange guy. Kapler's story is unique because he left Hogue. Kapler was a patient of yours. At he, was, one point? he was a doctor uh-huh. who was a who was a GP in in Newport Beach. He was a patient of mine, and I put him in the hospital a couple times, and he made me uncomfortable. And I just would, when Keith Ablo, who wrote this book, he was a psychologist, psychologist for for Fox News, wrote this book about Kapler. Uh, he called me and I said, I can't discuss his medical stuff with you, but he was a very strange guy. I'm in this book. <laughs> he wow. is in the book, said he was Kaplan strange. Kaplan went up the coast, left Hogue, took an anesthesia residency, became an anesthesiologist, and was walking by in a, 
up a, co- a hospital up the coast, walking by intensive care, and some old guy's laying there with tubes. He pulls all the tubes out, and the nurse spots him. They report him. The district attorney files a manslaughter against him, and he beats it. So he goes to Massachusetts, and he's on the staff of a hospital, and some guy picks up the fact that he's not totally right. So the guy starts to challenge him on staff meetings, and he gets a little irritated at the guy. The guy's a jogger. He's out jogging. John Kapler takes his car, jumps the area, runs the guy over, and kills him. And John Kapler gets in, indicted for murder and gets a life, sen- life sentence life sentence in Massachusetts. Life wow. sentence in Massachusetts. And he, and he died about two years ago. But he spent uh, his life in prison. This is a, my patient. And this so, is the guy that. This is the guy you. This is the guy your father looked at. So it was a little cuckoo. And, he, and wait, Newport at that time was very different from Newport today. Oh sure. Very yeah. small town. Yes, very nice. Everyone knew everybody. Yes, yeah. well, a lot of fun. And so. I mean, I wonder what the population was. I don't know, but but then. your father picked. But your father, this is the guy your father picked up on him, and that's why he left him and came to me. That's, and this book is available. There was one of these available, and I found it because I was interested in reading the story of John Kaplan. And there's a story about this guy in here. Wow. <laughs> so your father was extremely perceptive. And did he, he what, had a, what made him leave this area, the the Cap- Kapler, the well, Kapler was unhappy. He was unhappy, basically. He's, a, he's sort of a little disturbed person, and he was not happy just practicing in this area. I don't think he was very popular either, mm-hmm. so maybe his practice wasn't big enough. So he left, took an anesthesia residency, became an, an anesthesiologist, and that's when he got in trouble with manslaughter from taking some old guy wow. and pulling the tubes out. <laughs> and nurses saw what he did, so they went ahead and reported him to the DA. The DA filed manslaughter against him, and somehow he beat the rap. Wow. So they, they, he still had a license, so he transferred to Massachusetts, and that's where he ultimately wound up in, in the, the, gray, the gray bars. Wow. <laughs> I like when you, when you talk about, like, my father would call Michael. Like, they had a very close relationship. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. When I was a boy, Michael was a sort of an anomaly. Like, he'd come down. He was older. And dad would go, your brother. And I'd look at him and be like, how, like, how does this, how's this my brother? Like, I don't, I didn't get it. You know, it was a little guy. I didn't quite get it. And then they had difficult conversations. So it was, it was typically like administrative issues that they had to work. Oh, with. they fought. In, in they my fought time. even. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't get to see them really interact and have a lot of fun. But later in life, I got to interact with Michael and have a lot yeah. of fun with him. Michael what, was what a, a great personality. Michael was a unique personality. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of conversations about just everything. He would call me every once in a while, and I'd call him once in a while. And, uh, you know, and he told me about his daughter with uh, cancer of the tongue and all that stuff. Everything that happened, he'd call me and, yeah. what do you think about this? <laughs> yeah, he was a very nice guy. So anyway, I took care of your father. We had all sorts of stuff. What I did was I followed him kind of more probably than most patients. Because he's sort of a friend, and I, yeah. I, made, I wanted to make sure nothing ever happened to him. And so there was one time he was making a movie in Durango, Mexico, and I get a call from everybody. He said, hey, he's in big trouble. 
He can't make him. His back is killing him, and the physical therapist down there doesn't know what to do. So I said I had some experience with uh, something called acupressure, where you put funny pressures on painful points and hold it for 20 seconds and release it, and then use ultrasound, which is a machine that uses a special liquid coupler, and you run the ultrasound machine over it, creates deep heat, and can relax muscle spasm. So they said to me, he's down there, what are we gonna do? I said, well, let's, let's get an ultrasound machine. So they gave me a little certificate, and I went and bought an ultrasound machine, went up to Whiteman Air Park, and they had an, a, a, a DC-3, which was totally tricked out with leather seats, really a, a bar, I mean, really a luxury car. So we get in a DC-3 to fly down to Durango. So we're flying down to Durango, and I go up to watch the pilots. The guy said, do you fly? I said, yeah, I got a license. I got a ticket. Got some hours, and I've soloed. And the guy said, here, sit down. So I sit down, and uh, I'm sitting down in the, in the right seat, and the other guy goes back. And so yeah, we're sitting there talking, and the guy says, fly the plane. So I put it on the right heading, right altitude. Every time someone goes to the bathroom, you got to adjust the trim real fast. <laughs> and so... After two hours, I get relieved, and the guy says, I'm a twin-engine instructor. If you come up to Whiteman Air Park, I'll sign your book. I never did. I would have had two hours flying at the pilot in command of a DC-3, and I missed the gate. Wow. That's <laughs> so, a really beautiful So we get, down, we get down to Durango, and he had a, there's a Mexican physical therapist, so I went and taught him my technique for acupressure, taught him how to use the ultrasound machine, and then your father says, why don't you stay? We're making a movie. You stay and watch the movie. The, the movie set down there was done, was built by a Mexican lumberman by the name of Gilberto Rosas, who actually became a patient of mine, too. And so while we were there, he said, why don't you stay? I said, I've got an office full of patients waiting. I had to take time out to come down here. All right, I'll get you a plane. And when it gets to Mazatlan, go up to the Aeromexico desk and tell them, that you're Dr. So-and-so and they'll have a seat for you. So we fly into, fly into uh, Mazatlan land. I walk up to the Aeromexico, they hi, I'm Dr. Egan and I'm looking for, well, there's no seats available. So I immediately, I'm really irritated. What, I'm supposed to get back. So I go up to the bar and I'm, I'm a one beer, I had three. So you know what that did. I'm on, I'm really cuckoo. All of a sudden, on the thing comes out, Dr. Egan, report to the Aeromexico desk. I go down and says, hi, you can have the, the jet or the propeller. We just got a special word. You, you have to be able to get out of here. Wow. And then the guy says, oh, by the way, we got a package from Mr. Wayne from uh, Dean Martin, and it was a bunch of steaks, and they were on the runway in the heat too long. What shall we do? Can you give us permission? Oh, yeah, throw them out. Tell, say Dr. Egan said so. <laughs> so I got the jet and got into, got into L.A. And so the record was that the treatment took care of his back. He was able to make the movie. Wow. So, so acupressure and ultrasound. Was yeah. ultrasound a new No, no. New we, technology had, we had then? it since 62 in okay. the office. Right. It's a special box with a handheld sure. thing. And you use a coupling, like a gel. Yeah. And the gel couples it, and you put it over, and you can feel the heat. Yeah. You got to be I've, careful. I've, done, I've had it many times, yeah. yeah. It really works. I still have, I took, when I closed my office, I took the machine. I still oh, have it in my house. <laughs> yeah. Seems like they're doing so everything. So we went, you know, and he had, 
I took care of him, did physicals on him all the time. He would see me about every six months in the office. I'd just go over him generally. And I went down to the house one time, and he, uh, he said, I'm really a little short of breath. And I said, okay, I had my stethoscope, listen. And I listened over his heart, and he had a little slight murmur, which went from a grade one to a grade four. And I said, oh, you ruptured one of the parachute cords that hold your valve. It got a, it's called a ruptured cord tendony, and you, you're going to need surgery. So Joel Manchester at Hogue was a cardiologist who had, who had been trained at, uh, at, the, at Mass General. And so he called a cardiologist there, and your father went to Mass General, had open-heart surgery. Then when he came back, uh, I was down looking at him. I said, oh, your, your eyes are turning yellow. And so I did some studies. He had type A hepatitis, probably from blood transfusions that he wow. got at Mass General. Really, Christmas. So this was probably, he flew back. Some, some friend of his took a private jet back and flew him back to Orange County. Uh, so he, and then he was doing pretty well recovering and all that business. And about November, the end of November, 1978, I'm down at the house and he said, hey, I need to talk to you. I said, what's the deal? He says, I got some new symptom I don't understand. He said, normally I can eat huge meals. He says, I'm limited. I can eat about a, a, a third to a half what I used to be able to eat. Now, oh, I don't like the sound of that. Because if you have a decreased gastric capacity, the first thing that comes to mind if you're a gastrointestinal specialist is stomach cancer. Mm. So we did an x-ray. I said to the radiologist, put air in his stomach, blow it up and see if it will distend. He calls me back, no distension. So I scoped him, and in his stomach he had mild inflammation and did a whole bunch of biopsies, all negative. I went, what the heck is going on? So, and I put air in, and I couldn't distend his stomach either. So I thought, this guy may have a unique type of stomach cancer called linitis plastica. And so I, um, he also found that he had gallstones at the same time. So I scoped him a second time, trying to make a diagnosis positive. I couldn't, couldn't make it, but I knew sort of what he had. So there was a premier surgeon at UCLA called Longmire, who was really top, top in the country. I remember the name. Yeah, and I looked at, uh, I looked at Hogue, and I thought, Hogue is good surgeons. We had two good surgeons at Hogue who could operate on me any time, and they could have done your, your father. But I thought, in addition to the surgery, you need security. And UCLA provides the security that Hogue couldn't provide. And that's actually what happened, because uh, Longmire operated on him and called me back. That we used the cover that he had gallbladder surgery coming, and we shipped him to UCLA with that diagnosis to cover things. So he gets to UCLA, and Longmire operates, calls me back. He says he's got a hamburger. What do we mean? He says a hamburger cancer. The outer layer is negative. The inner layer, which you biopsied, you could never make a diagnosis because it's negative, but in the center is the cancer spreading. He said, that's about a 2% five-year survival. I, uh, don't tell me that. So he was up there, and at one point up there, uh, they had some trouble, and uh, 
he was not able to eat. He couldn't empty his stomach. And they and he says, "Get Egan up here." So they gave me a one day, one day, one day uh, ability to work at UCLA to go up there. And I tried to di- I able to dilate it, but the, when I dilated the exit of the stomach, it only lasted about a week or two. And so he he died at, at UCLA. There's a rumor around that he died of lung cancer. He didn't die of lung cancer. He had lung cancer picked up earlier mm-hmm. on a routine physical, simple x-ray, small area, and he had a segmental lung resection and got cured. The stomach cancer was a separate issue. Do you think it's related to having cancer once? No. Like just completely no. separate? I've got, I've got a, a, a patient I know now that think has pancreatic cancer and breast cancer, totally separate. Wow. Even in a microscope, it's even different. Incredible. I drove him to Hogue one night, and I drove him to UCLA. Yep. I, was, I visited him at UCLA. But I, you know, I, was, I was 16 or 17. I, I don't remember what was happening. Yeah. I just remember. Well, I remember. Let me tell you, I remember in detail. This guy was important, and I, he was a friend of mine. Not, not only a patient, he was a good friend. Yeah. And I spent time with him in British Columbia, and we had fun. I mean, I flew into, I flew into British Columbia, landed at the Goose. But first of all, I'm, he tells me, go to Quadra Island. We're going to be at the north end of Quadra Island. So I fly into Campbell River and go to, and go to the, the flight place, the float plane place. I need to go to Quadra Island. The dispatcher says, I don't know where that is. I'm in the middle of Canada. I don't know where the hell I am. So finally, a pilot comes in, and I said, you know where Quadra Island is? He said, I just flew over with a big boat up there. I said, you're my man. Oh, good. So they flew in. So I land and taxi up to the boat. They take the whaler out and pick mm-hmm. me up. And I walk in, and your father says, what are you drinking? You want some tequila? I hate tequila. He says, what do you want? Anything. Beer. All right. So I give you one. I have one beer, and I'm a one beer anyway. Drink the beer. The next morning, I wake up. Another guy comes in, and he says, hey. He says, we, we got to take your plane down to Campbell River. He says, this damn doctor drank all the booze on the boat. I got to buy him some beer. I, was like, I had one beer, you son of a gun. So... We get, we get down to Campbell River, about 100 miles down, they fly to buy me beer. We land at Campbell River, and we're walking there, and your father hocks a good one and spits on the street. And a little hippie, a smart hippie, walks up and says, hey, who do you th- I know who you are. Who do you think you are? Don't you know it's illegal to spit on the sidewalk in British Columbia? He says, you aren't so damn stupid. You know this is the, this, this is the, the street, and that's the sidewalk. I spit in the street, idiot. <laughs> and then we're at we're at Preto we're at Preto Haven. And right. That's where Princess Louisa the yeah. waterfall is. And, and all of a sudden uh someone fires a, a morning canyon off and wakes up everybody at anchor. So some guy comes out in his little boat, comes to the ve- the, the, the goose and starts to harangue, Wayne, we knew who you are. What the hell are you doing interfering with the Canadians? Your father gets his dander up. He jumps in the well, and the guy spots him, runs to his boat, locks it. Your father carves on the boat. Come out, you little son of a gun. I need to talk to you. And the guy hid in the boat. Wow. <laughs> I went with him. Uh, he, the guy he had was a cook from the, from the movie theater. 
on the movie studio, the little guy with Billy, emphysema. Yeah. Billy Swat? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he, he was, was a master cook. He really was good. He was terrific. And so I would fly in, and they have cantaloupe shrimp and cracked crab. They had traps out all the time. And I went with your father a few times up little creeks, and we dug cockles and had great big, great big buckets of cockles yeah. to eat. I mean, it was gee, it was just an orgy on that boat of eating. <laughs> it was a great. Those were great trips. Oh, I had more fun. I tell you, I think I made two or three trips, and and any number of times. There's a funny story. Greg Munoz and I are having a lousy fishing trip. We're not catching fish. We're farming salmon. We're just missing everything. So that we're going to leave on a on a day. I forget the day we're going to leave. So Greg and I said, let's get up early in the morning, go fishing. So we get out there, and it's, we got oil skins on. It's raining. It's miserable. So all of a sudden, I get a hookup. And all of a sudden, behind it says, it's not a Bonita, idiot. Don't set the hook so hard. And I look back. Your father has gotten out in the other boat, came after us to be sure we got fish to give us advice. I got a 45-pound king salmon. Wow. Another day, I'm on the boat, and uh, your mother's uh, tennis pro is a, is a guest on the boat. And he is the guy who fishes with a spinning reel upside down. <laughs> the reel's on top. The guy doesn't know, doesn't know what day it is. And so he's on the whale, and he disappears, and it's getting dark. And everyone says, you know, we were going to have to start a search for this guy. And I had a few beers, and all of a sudden, a fish is walking towards me. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm drinking too much. It's the little guy carrying a 65-pound king salmon wow. that he caught by himself wow. in, in the boat alone. Oh, my and, gosh. And your, your dad says, wouldn't you know it, the guy who's the worst fisherman on the boat <laughs> catches the best fish. <laughs> I fished at Waterfall in British Columbia. If you caught a 65-pound king, you would win a Ford Explorer. Really? That would be the, the, that dirt on the derby. A friend of mine caught a 55-pound and won the derby for the year and got over his, his taxes were 20000 bucks on what he won. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the guy, the worst fisherman, with this giant king. He was so small. All I saw was the fish coming at me. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I felt like my dad would invite, a, you know, some people who were his close friends like you. But then there'd, be a, there'd always be like a random person on the boat, too, where you're like, why is this guy here? Yeah, he, yeah. Wanted, he wanted the guy to go, and the guy wouldn't go. So when I arrived, he looks at the guy and says, you know, in the, down, in the, in the back aft cabin, he says, there's two beds there. The doctor, you snore, and the doctor's got to have his rest, so you sleep up in the, on, the, on the open area where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the big open the spot. Hickey, eh? He put him yeah. up there, the guy after two days says, I'm leaving, goodbye. <laughs> Do you remember Buzz Fiorini? Oh, sure. The guy used to fly in? Yeah, that's the guy who flew, who came in, and that's the one that Wayne said, the damn doctor drank all the booze on the boat. We got to go Campbell River because oh he had gosh. a float plane. So Buzz takes the float plane and flies down to Campbell River. And he took me one day. I'm at the boat, and they're going to move down for the boat, and Wayne says, I don't want the doctor here needs to go fishing more. Take him up to the, uh, to the glaciers. And land on, land on one of those. So he takes the float plane. We land on a little glacier lake. And I don't think anyone ever fished it. We, we just 
Did you we, get out like on a sandbar? I, no, you just we get out on the on the pontoon okay. and fished. Anything you cast got a, got a trout this fish, big. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. And Buzz was. I loved Buzz Fiorini. Yeah, uh, he was a nice guy. You know, he'd be flying along, and uh, yeah. you ask him any question about the plane. He's like, No, no, you can turn the engine off. You'd turn the engine off, and you'd glide around yeah. for a while and fire it up. And then and he yeah. had one fake leg, right? Yeah. He had a prosthetic leg because he hit uh, a log, I guess, landing yeah. the seaplane. Who was uh, the guy on the Tenora? That was Max Wyman. Max Wyman. Max Wyman. Max Wyman had one of the few float planes with reversible prop, so really? you could back it up. Wow! I and didn't I know went that to Max Wyman's prop. house in, in, Ro in Lake Roosevelt, and he, he taxied down and t flew me up to the boat on one of my trips. I thought he was a real character, man. He was, he was a character. It's kind of like he, half Walter Matthau yeah, style. He, he had a girlfriend who was who was just wild. She she would would sedate him with phenobarb, so he went to sleep, and then she wandered around. She said, "I'm coming to your cabin. I'm locking the damn door." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had a Mercury Cougar or something like that. I remember when she was good looking. Something oh, yeah. different about oh, her. Oh, young. She drove this hot car. Yeah. And then in Max's boat, Trenora, on the shower, it said, there was a little plaque, and it said, Say, conserve water, shower with a friend. And I remember, it, it, as, a, as a whatever, however old I was, I went, oh. Like that. That got me. I gave me a, a funny feeling. <laughs> I was like, this Wyman character is okay. But anyway, you know, I just thought some of the stuff you needed to hear because I, I don't know whether anyone tells you this stuff. No, but, I mean, you know, I, you know, I have my memories, but they're but this child, is, childhood you know, memories. I really was focused on this. You know, I just, I don't know. I, he was he was up and up uh, shooting Brannigan up and he's shooting machine guns and he he knew I like guns so he'd call me and hey get your fanny up here cut some garbage cans in half I said I'm working you know <laughs> she, with the Uzi huh? the Uzi's yeah they were doing yeah. Uzis or Macs I forget what they were shooting oh maybe it's a Mac ten you're right yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I don't I think it was Uzi but I I could be wrong again it's a uh, yeah, Nick, so Ad Nick Adams was Nick Adams was a classmate of mine. He was a small bit actor. Maybe you know, maybe you know, but he he, he was friends with Michael, right? Or he not? was friends with Michael a little bit because he stayed at the house. Yeah, Josephine uh, let him stay at the house. I and, can remember Michael talking about him, but I don't remember the context. And one day, uh, Josephine comes in, and Natalie Wood and uh, Nick Adams are entwined. I think that's the word you use, and. So she throws Nick out and says, this is a Catholic house. We don't do that in this house. Wow. <laughs> Josephine was funny. Uh, my wife, first wife, Bonnie, was being stressed by two kids that were trying to kill each other. And they were relatively young. John, John and, and Karen were, uh, John would, would push Karen down the stairs and try to otherwise damage her. So my first wife was going nuts. And... Josephine, how are you doing? And she says, Josephine, I'm going crazy. Josephine says, drop the kids off, go shopping in Beverly Hills. So she'd watch the kids all the all afternoon. Wow. She would do that. She loved kids, and she would do that anytime. Karen and John would go to Josie's house? Yeah, oh Josephine's house. And so many connections that I didn't know, that I didn't realize were there as <laughs> oh, I was growing yeah. up. John and Karen. 
John's a guy I went to high school with, right? So Bob son John and I are close, close friends all yeah. through school. We were just with John. We just had a big wedding in Northern California. And oh, John cool. and Jerry were there and Karen and her husband and everybody. 120. Wow. My grand, grandson, Patrick, just got married. He's a graduate of Chicago Business School, and so is his lady. And Jesus, they are really highly accomplished. Scary. <laughs> I should have had a more active breeding program. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did pretty good. You had three, right? I had three. Three, yeah. And they're, they're, they're all, none in rehab and none in jail. So where, I guess where is everybody? Where's Karen? Karen is up in Dana Point. In that area. Oh, she is? Okay. And John's they local. Move, I see him all the time. John is local in Long, in Long Beach. He's, we see him all the time. Mm -hmm. And Terry is up at Fairfax, California, just inland from San Francisco. And her husband does, he is a, uh, he is a, he does public relations for green corporations only. Wow. So I don't know. How, how much younger was Terry? Terry was, um, than John. John and I John and Karen were, were Irish twins. They were nine months apart. <laughs> so is John 60 or 61? Do you know? I think he's 61. Yeah, he's a year ahead of me. Yeah. Karen is 62, and uh, she has uh, two kids. They're, they're good. And my daughter, Terry, has one little girl who's 17 now. Wow. Who's... Um, not just a Mensa member, she is a Prometheus member, which is a couple IQ points even higher. Yeah, you do not want to get in a spelling bee with one of the Egans. Because <laughs> spelling bees as high as I got. <laughs> once, it, once it goes past spelling bee, I'm out. <laughs> so John, that's John it. was always, like, he never, he didn't have to pick up a book. Huh? He, no, John, John had, to pick John had ADD, his attention deficit disorder, mm -hmm. so he can't sit still. My doctor friends love him because when he comes to do plumbing, he's mm -hmm. there very fast. He can't sit, stay there. So he's got to do the job and go. So they say he's the most reasonable plumber we've ever had. <laughs> I got remember some... that international travel all that he drove when we were in high school. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, and every time he'd go around a corner, we'd be on three wheels instead of four. <laughs> he was just a, a monster. You know something? He was my enemy growing up. He's my best friend now. Let's see. That's really nice to hear. I just, let's see if I have any. He's a great guy. What do you got there? This is Wayne's burial, but you have all this stuff. I have some things here that may be interesting. When somebody has, you know, two different cancers like that, do you think that's environmental? Do you think that's genetic? Do you I think wish we both? knew. I wish we knew. I tell you something, of all my patients, he's probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met. No one really knows that. They think he's just an actor. He's not, he's more than that. Wow, that's fantastic. I remember his writing. I can see it. Let me see that. Let me see his handwriting on the front. I think this is Claire Trevor, maybe. Yeah, this is Claire Trevor Wren. I just kept this stuff. I took care of Claire, mm. Andy Devine, Claire Trevor, Clint. You know, you know your friend Clint uh, Walker. Yeah, I saved his life. Clint Walker took a ski pole in his chest and wound up in the hospital up north and had heart surgery. And so they sewed up his heart and saved his life. He was bleeding out. So 
I'm home and I'm sitting around in my shorts and I'm not on call. Giselle Hennessy, you know, remember Tom Hennessy? Yeah. Tom Hennessy divorced his wife, Giselle. Giselle was stunning. Gorgeous French lady, good cook, everything. I knew Giselle well, and Giselle calls and says, uh, hey, uh, my, my new husband, Clint Walker, when he lays down, turns blue. And when he sits up, he's okay. So I, I vaguely remember that he had took a ski pole in the chest. So I said, that's his cardiac issue. Take him to UCLA. So all of a sudden, the emergency room at Hogue calls me, hey, your patient Clint Walker's here looking for you. <laughs> oh, God, what the hell are you doing? So I put on old clothes, run in, and I figure i got to take care of this because otherwise it's going to look crazy. So I, uh, I, I get in there, and, uh, and I'm looking, put him up and down. He turns blue, uh, laying, white, sitting up. So I figure he's got something going on with his heart, like a ball valve. So we do the studies. He's got a ball valve. I get a cardiac surgeon. They go in, and they, they, they find the atrial myxoma, which is a totally benign process, an excess scar that forms a ball. And the ball was, was, was blocking, blocking. The, the circulation. Wow. So the cardiac surgeon operates on him and cures him. So he sends me a crossbow with a scope. <laughs> now... Giselle, uh, he was a Christian scientist, so Giselle gets rectal bleeding, and he turns around and says, forget about it, she dies of colon cancer. Oh. So, uh, you know, that's, that uh, stuff with, uh, not, good, not good if you, if you have rectal bleeding, you go get yourself scoped fast. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hennessy was my tutor on Big Jake. Tom, Tom Hennessy was a friend of mine. Tom... Tom was a patient, too. He <laughs> was a patient. But he, didn't he live in Malibu, and, and he was yeah. your patient? He drove down. He had, he had some oil interest in Huntington Beach. Mm. He had inherited some oil pumps down there. So he would come down to check on his stuff, and he saw me, and I made some big diagnosis on him. I found some stuff that if they operated on it, he'd get malignant hypothermia and die. So you had to, it was really, he's got a weird, weird syndrome. But he had some Izettas. You know what an Izetta is? No. It's a little BMW. After the war, they made a BMW with BMW with a motorcycle engine in back, and you opened the door, and and, the, and the steering wheel came out. Yeah, yeah. He had two of them, and I he gave me two of them, and I put them on a truck and took them home. Wow. And I restored. I made made one out of two, and somebody some some. Uh, BMW dealer wound up buying them from me. Oh, you got one of those? I want them. Incredible. <laughs> didn't he live? Uh, didn't he have like some kind of land on the beach? In he Malibu? had immense amount of property that he bought from money he made uh, doing uh, movies, and he had a house. He had he had a house. He wanted a slate roof. He went to England. They tore down an old shirt, an old church, and he bought the slate and bought the technicians who knew how to do it. Put them over in it and paid their way in Malibu to fix the house up. He had a gorgeous house on the beach. Wow! I mean, you just walk right down the ocean was right there. Yeah. Oh. Well, I heard that he would. You know, he was huge, right? I mean, how he was bigger than. Oh, my he father. was. He was big. He was a big. He was a creature from the Black Lagoon. He was. You didn't know that. No. I have a thing no. that he signed. He was the greatest teacher that I ever had. 
Well, he was a teacher legally. Yeah, and, and he made it interesting to me. Yeah. You know, he my lessons would happen around the town of Durango, and he'd explain why you want to learn this. It was it was terrific. He was a great guy. Did you know Rosas from Durango? Yeah, I mean, I don't have clear memories of him. I know the name. Rosas uh, was a patient of mine, and uh, he. What was his first name? Il Hilberto. Hilberto, yeah. And his son and I talk all the time. His uh, sister-in-law was the wife of the ex-president of Mexico. Her name was Amalia Cardenas. She was the, the wife of Lazaro Cardenas, who nationalized the oil industry. <laughs> and Cuauhtémoc Cardenas, his, his uh, grandson, Cuauhtémoc, which is Amalia's son, he gets a, a small amount of money from every, every barrel of oil that Pemex pumps. Even today, That's and he's a, a communist. Communista. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> wow. Anyway, boy, those were some circles to run around in. <laughs> Listen, I'm from New Jersey. I mean, you have no idea. We went back to where I, I took Kim back. We looked at where I live. Kim says, "Let's get the hell out of here." <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What got you started on guns? Oh, that's a, I, I, I was in Jersey City, and I used to go down the dumps. And a doctor friend of mine gave me a Benjamin air pistol. So I used to take the air pistol, pump it up, and I could shoot rats. I got to the point where I could <laughs> actually hit a rat running and kill him. So I came out here, and I was, I, was a re, I was an intern and resident in L.A. County. I was totally bored, and I thought, you know, maybe I go to shoot. So I went to the store. And I bought a Gold Cup 45 automatic. I thought, what the hell, let's try this out. So I went to the range, and then I could see really well. And, I, and the first 20 shots I put in the black. And I thought, uh-oh, I got a new <laughs> hobby. <laughs> so then we started. To, I, used to, I bought a 22. I used to go up, to, to, uh, to, uh, up, up, up the line at... Uh, uh, I forget the name of the damn place. I used to shoot jackrabbits, and then... And then I started collecting guns. Did you ever know the Gaddises in the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somehow when I was in, what's the thing before first grade? What do you call it? Kindergarten? Kindergarten, Kindergarten or first grade. I went with these two twin brothers and their dad. I just remember they had a house where it started with a twenty-two bullet and then it went all the way up to like a howitzer <laughs> shell, you know? That was part of the decoration on the wall. And uh, they took us, I think, to some prison where you could shoot and the trustees would run the range. Does that ring any bell? No. We, so, we belong, Kim and I have a family membership at the firing line, Huntington Beach. No, no, I'm talking about when I was, oh. you know, five or six or seven. I don't know, whenever they first let us shoot 22s. Your um, father liked the fact he helped me get a concealed weapon permit from, from music. Mm-hmm. And I think he he liked the idea when I was around and had my gun with me. <laughs> he yeah, had that. guns everywhere in the house and in, in the cushions even. And At I our said, house. Yeah. And yeah. I said to him, what the hell? He says, someday someone's going to come in here and play games. Only one of us is going to leave. <laughs> I still remember that. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. you guys had a great friendship, you know, you, for you a know, long was, time. Oh, yeah. You know... I just sort of fell into that too, you know. Well, the thing that the thing that was in my favor was I had training that you would believe. I graduated fourth in my class in medical school. 
my medical school had an internship that, that uh, was unique. In fourth year, you're not supposed to. Uh, no other medical school had an internship. We went to school summer, so we could do that. Then I came out to L.A. County at an internship. I was a medical resident for three years. At the, at the end of three years, they offered me to be chief medical resident for SC and Loma Linda both. And I decided I, I had gone from 155 pounds down to 128 and my wife looked at me and said, if you stay, they're going to kill you. Get the hell out. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got a fellowship in GI at the, at the Sawtell VA Hospital. And uh, I hung out the people. One guy was very interesting. name was Stuart Tuttle. Stuart Tuttle and my wife and I would go out at night and go to bars. Stuart Tuttle was one of the Guggenheims. And he had a house in Holmby Hills. And he constantly would say, every time he went out and got drunk, he said, you know, that damn president's with the Secret Service and Madeline Monroe using my house all the time. And so I, I, I said to my wife, you know, he's, he's daydreaming. So it was really true. And then all of a sudden, Marilyn dies, and I'm down here, and Stuart was relatively young. His wife leaves the house. Stuart has a heart attack and dies. And there was no autopsy. And I said to my wife, don't talk about Jack Kennedy to anybody. Oh <laughs> I said, I'm just a little goosey about knowing this stuff. Stuart was unique. I was a GI fellow at the VA hospital. And Stuart was a member of the LA Country Club. The place we worked was, we had visiting firemen from Chile, Australia. Everyone came, and Stuart hated to entertain them, so he always included me. So I'd get a call, put your jacket on today, we're going to the club. So here I am, a resident at the L.A. Country Club for lunch. <laughs> so Stuart and his wife were not getting along. His house burned at the, LA, at, the, at the fire in the Bel Air fire. He had a gorgeous house, with a, just like your father, with a screen, movie screen, everything. And... He was a genius, but he would get in his cups and always, have a, you know, I hate these, they, uh, we got to clean up, the president's at the house, the, the Secret Service are all over the place, his girlfriend, Marilyn, comes, and they, they go and use one of my bedrooms, and I'm, he I'm hearing stuff that nobody knows about. There's never been a, a note about Stuart Tuttle anywhere in any of the reports of Jack Kennedy's finagling. Wow. <laughs> In Homeby Hills. In Homeby Hills, <laughs> How the hell did Jack Kennedy get out here? Oh, he was out here a lot. He just flew out. He was the president going anywhere he wants. <laughs> Working remote. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like today. You know, I've had a, a really funny... I took care of a lot of people. You know, Andy Devine, Claire Trevor was a good friend of mine. And some of the people I took care of... You know, there's a guy by the name of Rafiq Hariri, who was the premier of Lebanon. I, I took care of him, and he went back to Lebanon. Two weeks later, he was blown up in his Mercedes oh 600 limousine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he sent me a Cartier watch because he was so pleased at my, my medical care. <laughs> wow. I, I took care of a guy by the name of Shahabi, who was a general in Syria. He was the head of 
Syrian security and probably was the guy who took the Israeli, who probably executed the Israeli spy that got into the Syrian government. And they finally found him out and he was executed and hung in public. And that was probably the, the guy who I took care of him. He was a, the Syrian general. How did they end up here? They just came out? To... No, because the guy who was the radiologist in Newport is Hazem Shahabi. Oh. And that's his father. I see. So I took care of his father, his mother, another Syrian general, the Syrian uh, counselor representatives in, in L.A. I mean, Jesus. Wow, that's really interesting. Hariri was Sh- here. Shahabi just ended up here in Newport? Yeah, he, he ended up in Newport, got married in Newport. I think he's an American citizen. He calls me one day and says... Uh, I've got, I need, a, uh, I need a consult on a good friend of mine. It's okay. Have him come to the office at noontime. I'll just make space. Now, you got to come over here to see him. Hmm. So I carry, carry a little bag, walk in. There's about five guys sitting around a table with dots in their lapel. I said, uh-oh. I said, hi, I'm Dr. Egan. I'm here to see <laughs> Mr. Mr. Hariri. They said, hey, we know who you are. We know all about you. Go see the, go see the patient. Wow. Another one was uh, Ed Lepore is another guy local who was a yeah. neurosurgeon. Yeah. And Ed Lepore had a lot of contacts in Iran. And the Shah's major guy was over here buying jet planes. And he was at the Newporter. So Ed Lepore says, you need to go see him. So I go down with my little bag and I walk in. And all of a sudden, some guy pushes me up against the wall and sticks a forty-five in my face. He's a security guard. Oh my God! So I probably I probably changed my diaper and <laughs> explained who I was, and eventually I got to see the guy. <laughs> and you being quite familiar with the forty-five. <laughs> oh, I don't like those pointing at me. The guy says, "Who are you? You're supposed to you're supposed to know who I am, you idiot." <laughs> uh, anyway. Wow. I just thought he needed to talk a little. Because well, I'm, no, it's, and it's really interesting that, that those people ended up here, and then you have contact with my dad, you know, who... who well, had, Rosas, you know, Rosas. Rod Reach. Rosas, uh, your father sent me Bill Heimpel. Remember mm-hmm. Heimpel sure. from Los Flores Hotel? Bill and I got to be really close. He was in my place in Oregon. We spent a lot of time together. We went down there any number of times, stayed at Las Flores. It was Las Flores where the dog would go into the pool and get the beer can or something? Yeah, yeah. That, that was Las Flores. Las Flores Resort. There's two hotels that they and, built. And was Hempel also in Mazatlan? Yeah, that's where he was. Oh, Mazatlan. Mazatlan. Okay. But he had a small place, a condo up here that they would come up. I see. And Bill, uh, Bill broke his hip here, and I wanted to have it fixed, and they insisted on taking him to Mazatlan, where his friend was the expert. His friend put the wrong hip in. And he had foot drop as a result, and he got pain with the hip replacement, took Advil, bled from his gut, and oh, died. Oh, no. You know, this, you know, shit. I just, the guy was, Kim knew him. Kim and we had a good time with him. He was just a, God, he was a good dynamite guy. Gold, you're crazy German. <laughs> you know, you spent time in Durango and, and down yeah, in Mexico. Yeah. And I did as a, as a little boy, and my memories were of a terrific place, Pretty safe, wonderful people, terrific food. I mean, it was. It, it's yeah. a great memory of mine. I don't know if that was in fact the case or no, not. It was the case because I, st- I spent time with Rosas. I went, 
I went down with Rosas and stayed at his place. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the pool one day, one of my visits, I'm in the pool and I look up, there's a guy with a gun on a wall walk. And I said, who is that? He says, oh, it's my bodyguard. Your bodyguard? Yeah, he says, what's he carrying? He says, oh, half carrying machine guns, half carry shotguns. So that night he, we go into his house. He says, ah, no one ever stays in my bedroom. You're a special guest. You're in my bed tonight. You're in the bed. This is a guy with guards all over him in his goddamn bed. I mean, I, I had a very bad night's sleep. I figure I'm going to get assassinated. <laughs> was he the guy who had the, the house outside of town where my father stayed? It was a yep. large house yes. but one yep. bedroom. Yep. That was and that one. was his house, not that the was, family's house. That was his house, his special house in the... And, and, and he was a, a neat guy. And then he invited Bonnie and I and Terry down to the Ninth World Forestry Convention. We fly in, land. All of a sudden, someone's assigned Dr. Egan. We get past everything, customs, everything. We're in, we're in one car. We got a car behind us with our bodyguard. And we went to the zoo and saw the pandas. And, and then Amalia Cardenas was Herosus's wife's sister and so she was a patient of mine too and she says oh i want to take you to dinner so we get in a big limousine go to dinner park no one's there she gets on the phone the next thing you know the whole crew comes in and makes dinner oh my god she's is this durango or mexico city no it's mexico city City. and so we're in line at the warforestry convention and he says you're going to meet the president He's got Oaxacan guards, so do not move fast because they'll cut your throat. I said, oh, that's nice. <laughs> so he says, but you can shake the president's hand slowly. So I shook the president's hand. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> and Terry comes down, and, and the, the Italian Air Force is having their big prom at, at the hotel. So Terry is, is single. She starts walking. The next thing you know, she's invited, and she's shaking hands with the Italian generals that day. <laughs> why, like, why would Rosas have armed guards? Because he was uh, involved. He's a big lumberman. Okay. A big businessman, and uh, you know he had somebody had put a hit on a hit on him that he found out about, and so whoever did that, he wound up. Someone found out in the government. And they had a general, even when he took a PM, the general was in the room baking, wow. guarding him for a while. So there was a lot of politics in Mexico. Mm. Some are not safe totally. <laughs> uh, but I don't remember my father really having any guards. No, I don't think so. I think but, we stayed at, at Rosas' house and there were armed guards one time. And uh, you remember C.C. Presley and Randy Presley? Their son, Bo, I think was his name. Somebody tried to kidnap him or, or mistook him for someone. He came down and spent some time in Durango with us. And then there were guards. But I don't remember in my daily life. No, there was no guards, probably. Armed but guards. Rosas personally had guards, but his kids didn't. And the house, I went to his house one time and his son says, I said, you got any guns? Yeah, so he picks up on the thing and he's got machine guns under the floor. <laughs> Jesus. Oh but Durango was pretty, like, you could go walk around, go to the curio stores, yeah, yeah. go to the bank. We went, uh, I, I went down there one time, I hunted white geese. One of the kids took me out. We went and hunted white geese. They went out in the field and sat in the blind, and the geese came in, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> so it was, a, like, for most people, it was a, an easygoing place. Yeah. 
But uh, Torreon near there uh, is not a good place. Torreon, they told me that almost every Sunday after Mass, somebody gets killed. They just shoot, they shoot everybody. So they said, don't go to Torreon. If you want to visit places, don't go there. Do you know what happened to that? You know, they had that old western town there. Still there. I think it's still there. It's still there? Yeah, that's the one he built for your father. So, so they could Rosas make movies there. there. Okay. Rosas, was, uh, Rosas became a patient of mine, came up here, and uh, he was an interesting guy. He would walk in the office and say, I appreciate you taking care of everybody, my family, give me 10000 in cash every time he walked in town. I, hey, he's coming again. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> he was, I, I, I refused. The first time I said, I'm not taking, I can't take that. He says, then I'm going somewhere else. I said, oh, wait a minute, okay. <laughs> Come on back in. Come on. <laughs> he, he, was, he was a good, I, he, he came in one time and he had some pain in the belly and I did a CAT scan and I said, oh shit, uh, he said, what have I got? I think it's called cancer of the pancreas. How long do I have? I said, well, maybe six months if you're lucky and that he died in six months. Wow. He was totally estranged to his family and I arranged that they, they re-got back, they got back together. But the kids came up and they bought, first of all, he started talking to his kids again, which he refused to do earlier. I got him to, to, to do it. And the kids, they came up from Mexico. They brought a witch doctor, Brujo. <laughs> they brought a curandero, a faith healer. And they put a pyramid over, over his body because supposedly the pyramid makes, makes you live longer or cures you or something. As a Catholic priest was playing with pyramids, and he insists, his name was Monsignor Dunn on the peninsula, and he insisted that he put a rusty razor blade under a pyramid structure and the rust went away. And I, I said, you're, you're drinking the wrong brew. I used to go surfing. He let me park in the parking lot. I couldn't have a beer with him when I was done. <laughs> that's different. Huh? Uh, that's different. I took care of Monsignor Russell in, in, in the... the, the uh, the place down south, the, uh, what the hell they call that, the Mission, Mission oh, San yeah. Juan. I took care of Russell, and I took care of Dunn, two Monsignors. <laughs> so maybe did, I get a higher place in heaven when did, I go. Uh, did my dad hunt much? I can remember him sometimes hunting. Not too, well, I, we used to go down to Cota de Casa. He had a guy there who was a hunt master, and we used to shoot the duck tower and stuff down there. Okay. And he would go there, he just... You know, he was a boy, he was a smart guy. God, he played, you know, his bridge playing, he was almost tournament bridger. You know, a lot of these movie actors are, are not, they're good to memorize, and that's about it, but your father was a really thoughtful person. He mm. was smart as hell. He was one of my smartest patients, really. And I had smart people, but he was one of the smartest. And I'm not just throwing this out. I'm not making a feel-good day today. Mm. <laughs> I guess it skips a generation. Well, you know, <laughs> there's one strange thing that I don't know, maybe I told you about. I had heart surgery in 19, your father died in 79. Right. I had, uh, I had heart surgery in 1980, and Kim knows the story. Uh, about two weeks before the surgery, 
I wake up at night and Wayne is sitting across from me right where you are. And he says, hey, you better pay attention. You've got to have some heart trouble. And I thought, what are you talking about? He says, just be careful. And Bonnie wakes up and hears my conversation, my end of the conversation, doesn't hear the other end. He says, what are you, she says, what are you doing? I'm, Wayne is here. I don't know what the hell is going on. How did he get here? <laughs> and so, and then I go down body surfing. I'm walking out of the water. And I thought, I'm indestructible. Look at the shape I'm in, a 62-degree water. I just body surf for an hour. About a week later, I start getting chest pain. I go to the cardiologist, and he says, you're nuts. If you have a problem, the whole hospital's got a problem because you're in such shape. So he does an EKG. He says, wait, stop. He says, you need surgery. What? Yeah. So next thing you know, crack. <laughs> so I swear to this day, honestly, this is not my imagination. I swear this, I was warned. <laughs> right? You can think I'm nuts, but honestly, if Bonnie was alive, she would describe the evening and my end of the conversation. Incredible. I'm sitting on the side of the bed talking, and she's listening to everything, and she wakes up. And she remembers it, and she can recite. She told people about this. <laughs> it's, you know, I've probably only had four or five dreams about my father since really? he passed. Yeah. This was not a dream. This no, was... I know, but... It, you know, whatever that is, whatever the, yours wasn't a dream, and I, and I don't know if mine was or not. They were different. We sort of covered some different topics. I was uh, warned. I was warned. And I, I had no concept of what I was looking at, and all of a sudden, it was there. I mean, I had normal cholesterol. I had no reason to have that except maybe work stress. But you know something? I, it was a blocked artery? Yeah. Mm. And he, I, I swear, I got a warning two weeks before. <laughs> it's, you know, I can't explain it. I, I can't either, but I usually don't tell, I'll tell you, you tell this to you, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I have to tell you, even Kim, remember? I told you the story earlier. You know, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff, you know. There was a guy who was a friend of mine who came out here and laughed at, at Bonnie and I's use of wine, thought we were from the Bowery and drunks. In two years, he had his own wine cellar, could tell you what, we, what you know, all that stuff. His name was Don Valentine. Don Valentine, I played water polo with him. He was in the Navy, was a radar guy, and was interested in electronics. So he comes out, he works for a national semiconductor, no, for Fairchild Camera first. And that was, it was a thing you, that was family-owned. We couldn't really advance. So he went to National Semiconductor, was a salesman, and in five or eight years was CEO. Mm -hmm. Then he decides to do uh, venture capital. He comes down. He used to come and see me every six months or so. We'd go to the country club and have, have dinner. So we, we're there. He has too many drinks, and he says, you know, doctors are suckers. I'm going to make a lot of money on doctors. So in 1972 or three, he calls me up. He says, I need 100000 I'm going to make you a millionaire. And I said, eh, you know, I had the money. I could have given him the money. And I, all I can remember is what he said at the country club. He's going to screw doctors, and I'm a doctor. So that was the money he invested, a hundred of his, in Apple Computer. Mm. And he's the biggest, he started Sequoia Investments, which is the biggest venture capital thing. And he was in, in LinkedIn, 
Cisco, LinkedIn. I mean, his, and every time he gets in, he takes a piece of the company. And so I told Kim the story, and I think Kim is a little quizzical about maybe this is baloney. So I called on one night, and I said, I wish I gave you that money. Said, yeah, I tried to help you out, you jerk. Boy, what would that be today? A lot. Oh, oh, let me tell you, I have my own private jet at the, at the airport. How's that Oregon? Do you still go up there? Yeah, I have a place still in oh. Oregon. In Grants Pass or Medford? Uh, no, it's below Grants Pass. It's where Chick's Ranch is. You go further in, 16 miles in, and I have seven acres on the river, on the Illinois River. Wow. And I got some 32-inch steelhead out of that river. Really? Yeah. I've got an orchard, a how, well. How did you find that? Well, I was up at Chick's one time, and uh, one of the local guys by the name of Freddie Krause, a lumberman, came by, and I'm sitting there, these guys are talking about old days, and he looks at me, he says, you're bored, aren't you? Yeah, he says, let me show you my cabin. Uh, we go down the river, 16 miles in, rough road, right on the Illinois River, and he, I see his cabin. I said, oh, this is really nice. I said, let me know, anything ever comes loose? You know, he says, I sold the last one up the line to a lady from Santa Barbara. So I come home and about a week later, I get a call from Fred. He says, hey, this place is for sale. The lady came up here and found a kid smoking marijuana and cavorting around nude, and she <laughs> says, sell it. So he says, I can get it for you for what she paid, which is 15 grand for seven acres on the river. I said, oh my do it. Gosh. So the lady about a year later says, if you pay it off, I'll reduce it to 10. Done. Oh my God! So I had an old, a good old boy there came, and we had to. It's in a scenic river or something, so it's a hassle with the state to get permission to build. So it took me two years. I finally get permission, built a cabin on it. How oh, cool! Then I put uh, in 1980. I put sun panels on the roof. People that talking about sun panels. 1980. I had solar in there. Wow. There's no electricity. I put a generator in, and as a backup solar panels and then eventually you put a big trace inverter it's pre pure sine wave inverter and then we put a, a spinner in the creek that spun and make juice oh, cool. and batteries all the crap so i had a nice little house 24 by 36 two bedroom one bunk room oh perfect and then in night 2001 a fire came by and a buddy says calls me up says the fire's over the hill we're safe that was on thursday i got a call sadly your house just burned down. Oh, no. The government came and set it back for her. Oh, and no. And the wind came up, 50-mile-an-hour wind, and the humidity is 5%, and woo, everything oh, went. Oh, no. What happened to Chick's Ranch up there? No, Chick's Ranch was sold. Well, Chick died, as you know. Mm -hmm. And when he died, uh, the airline pilot who was executor uh, went ahead, and eventually they, they sold the ranch. They sold... Uh, they sold his house in on the on the on the uh, on the on the river. Uh, on what the Remember, he had the, the sort of the tall timber was the first one, right? No, they sold that. Sold that. that. They added then that. Then moved up to like the sort of a big then, house. Then he moved up to the that uh, was called Deer Creek Ranch. Deer Creek Ranch, yeah. And and handsome boy was there. Remember that yeah. horse? Yeah, my was horse. that your horse? Yeah. Whatever happened to the horse? I think it lived there until it died. Is that right? Yeah. So he eventually. I rode that horse, you know, when I was eight, nine. That was a nice horse, jeez. Beautiful little horse. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, again, like a lot of things in my life, there was times when I was there, and then we're gone. 
and you're in Durango, or you're in yep. British Columbia, yep. or you're somewhere. So all of a sudden, boom! You, oh, I know. It wasn't something that was part of my daily life. Like this is my horse. I go take yep. care of it every day. It was distant. Uh, but Jim Bitney was a friend of mine. Jim was salt of the guy. earth, man. Yeah. Just really good. I mean, he. I, I, he's you're coming up. What are you going to do? I'm going to put some PVC pipe. How much are you going to put in? Oh, about uh, hundred. I got to get uh, a thousand yards. So I got to come down and put the water supply in. So I get up there, and uh, Jim says, "I'm going to go get the pipe." He says, "No, I I bought the pipe. Here's the bill. It's down at your cabin already." Wow. You know, uh, I, Jim, why did you do that? Well, I had the time, and I know you needed it. <laughs> yeah, I remember he was a great guy. Oh. I really like him. He did, was. A, did you get along with Chick very well? Uh, to a point. To a point. Yeah, I was up there one time and I had to do something, and he was pissed off at Jim and I because we weren't at the ranch when he arrived, mm. unannounced, and he started cursing. And I thought, "You son of a bitch! No one curses at me. Sorry." Mm. <laughs> but he was helpful too. He used to lend me a, a VW uh, van to go down the river. Interesting yeah. guy. Yeah. Interesting guy. You know, I was too young to really know what a lot of the relationships were. But you know something? It, medicine is funny. There's things you can do and things you can't do. That's the one thing that was impossible. The cancer of your father's stomach was just... It's like cancer of the pancreas. You got it, you're gonna... It's just gonna cook you. Mm. I've taken care of a lot of my doctor friends. I made three of my good friends doctors. I wound up making a diagnosis of cancer of the pancreas. And one guy probably started an IV and shot the morphine in himself. And the others just quietly sat there and got treated and miserable and died. No fun. Rosas was one. Rosas was. Alberto Rosas, he, he, uh, he came in, he says, I've got a little ulcer. And I said, ulcer, tell me your symptoms. I thought, oh, that doesn't sound like an ulcer. Let's do a CAT scan, CAT scan, bing, there it is. Jeez. But he was messing with a lot of, he had a place that they did, uh, that his, I visited his business thing because he wanted to be like the United States. So he had me go to UCI and get a specialist in industrial medicine to go down and look at his project and see what he, where he was making mistakes. And he had a he had a lumber business mostly. And one of the things he did was make the green lumber. You know, the stuff mm -hmm. with yeah. arsenic, cadmium, right. you know. And the other thing was he had pitch thing. He made things with black, black pitch. And the other was, uh, let me think. There was one super toxic stuff that they were putting on wood that was totally banned in the United States. Pentachlorophenol was wow. the name of the... <laughs> I remember that shit. Pentachlorophenol was the stuff that's totally banned in the United States. And they had big pressure cookers. They put a log in and dial how many years they want the log to be preserved. I mean, he had a really good, good plant going. Huh. Uh, and and he was overextended, and as soon as he as soon as he died, the <clears throat> banks came in and took it over. I see. But his his son is still in the lumber business. Gilberto Rosas Jr. is a, we have lunch with him every once in a while when he comes up to the states. I'd love to see him. How old would he be? 
70. 70, so he's about yeah. 10 years older than I am. That's it. Yeah. 10 years. If, if he comes back, take, let me go with you. <laughs> oh, sure. I'll call you up. <coughs> he's <coughs> he's going to come up and see his cardiologist. <coughs> you know, you got me this this uh, gun, this Raycorn gun, and then you sent me to, uh, to Gunsight when Jeff Cooper was still running it. I was there. I spent the week there. I yeah. love that. That was the best exam. What did you did you get completion or marksman? I got marksman. Me too. Yeah. You know, half the class got completion. The other half got marksman. Mm. I had that was more fun. I said, Jesus, I this is really good. That was you know, it was a surprising I was surprised how much I didn't know when I got there. Me too. I, I mean, thought I, I knew been I around thought, guns my whole hey, life. I thought I, I thought I knew it all till I got there. Yep. You know, it's ridiculous. You get there and you go through that six days. They didn't even give you a bullet for three days. Yeah. You know, it's just and, dry uh, fire. Yeah. But at the end of it, you know, light, dark, up, down, doesn't matter. Near, <laughs> far, right. you hit everything. Yeah. But when I went back to when I went back to go shooting again, you know, the iron sights on this with no markings on them, it's tough. For, it's tough for me to focus on it. I just, you know, what I do is I put red. I take red paint and paint it on my front sights. Have you ever used a red dot? Oh sure, I've got. Uh, she uses a red dot. So I, got, I bought a new Glock and I put the red dot on it. And Trinsicon. I'm, I'm just so, Trinsicon. Yeah, I'm just not sure. I'm so used to iron sights that when I switch that red dot, it's a little bit hard. My red dot has the ability to look through at the iron sight too. I have a I have a Glock 19. I have a safety on mine. A, guy, a gunsmith cut a special thing and made a safety oh, on wow. it. Oh wow. Huh? Hmm, never heard of that. And then I have I have a Trinsicon red sight. I have a Glock uh, combat Glock special barrel on the thing. I mean, I have more money in the in the parts <laughs> than I have in the damn gun. But when I bought the gun, you could buy magazines, and I gave you a high-capacity magazine. I think I wiped it down so my fingerprints are a little rich. <laughs> but I have to tell you, <clears throat> I've got about 10 of them, high-capacity magazines. I got one 10-shot magazine, so I'm totally legal. <laughs> but my Glock, I use the red, I, I have red dots on. Okay. We have, we have off-market guns, yeah, off-roster, yeah. okay? Yeah, off roster. We have a place we buy off-roster guns. So a $750, three, 385, six-hour uh, X and XL, instead of paying 750 you pay 2000 Yeah. Because they're off-roster. Yeah. So I have five of those off-roster guns. I have a wow. lot of money invested in them. Wow. I have over... Probably 80 handguns. Do you really? Yeah. I have, you know, a few, and I'm like, I gotta get rid of some of these because I just want to deal with one. Although this 45, I'll never get rid of this because. No, that's, let me tell you, that's you know, a, if you got a Raycorn like gun, you got a, you got it, a it nice gun. You know, it feels beautiful to yeah. shoot, and the trigger's fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's just right. The, nothing sits in my hand like this gun does. It's just, I, I it took the Raycorn's gun and one other one to gun sight, figured I have a backup. The Raycorn gun never missed a beat. Yeah. Just never jammed. Just bing, 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 bing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a great place. Thank you for sending me there. And, you know, uh, Jeff Cooper was there. And he was there when yeah, I was there, too. Class. Did you go to his house at the end of the course? No, I'm, uh, 
I don't think so. Um, I went to his house. There were a bunch of geese around, which were the alarms. When you got to his house, there was a little thing on each corner of the house. And when you walked in, he had a sliding gate that he could lock. And behind you was a gun slot that could shoot you. Oh, my God. Right the head. <laughs> he was in a, I was, you know, about 30 seconds late to, to sitting down one day. And I got, a, you know, a, a well, I drove. Well, I drove in, and it says a sign, five miles an hour, no more. I'm driving my van. I get 15 miles an hour. I thought the van was going to come apart. <laughs> <laughs> he says... You must follow advice. Did you uh, notice anything funny driving in? Yeah. Did you go too fast? Yeah. Did you notice your car came apart? Almost. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting six days. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, and the trigger on that's fantastic. The new Glock, you know, when I go shoot it, it's very spongy. Yeah. It's yeah. fine, yeah. Uh, but it's different. The worst are these new SIGs. The, the ones with the striker fired, with, they have a little thing on, to, on top called a Romeo. It's a very small micro red dot. And boy, is it good. I mean, anywhere the red dot goes, that's where the bullet goes. Mm. Are you looking through to see the red dot? You're looking through it. And also, you can also see the way it's arranged. I'd like to show you these guns. They're, they're 9 millimeter. They're totally concealable. Mm. She has, which one you got? XL? XL. And an X. You got an X, but the X is not on your... Conceal where you got to get that on. She's got one X with an American flag engraved on the side. <laughs> and I've got I've got an X and XL, and she's got you know the uh, M and P nine millimeter. It's really hard to rack for females. She's got an off roster gun that's an M and P easy, and women mm. can rock it. Oh wow! Is it is that the little shield? The M and P yeah. shield? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough gun. It's also kind of a you know, jerky when you're shooting it so little. Yeah, they're just, you know. Easy is beautiful. Really? It's perfect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Easy has a grip safety, too, so it's a different gun. I don't like the little safety in the M&P. It has a, a little yeah, I know. thumb safety thing. I've got some interesting revolvers. No one likes revolvers anymore. I love revolvers. I, I collect like revolvers. revolvers. Yeah. And there's a revolver called a Manhuren. The, 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 uh, there's a French special forces, that's all they train with. They take these Manhuren revolvers and they shoot 150 rounds five days a week, high-end stuff, and the guns never come apart. They're made of tool steel. Uh, Beretta has just taken the right to market them in the United States. Hmm. When the factory takes the revolvers and they, uh, they put them out, they put them in a ransom rest, they fire six rounds, and if the rounds deviate more than 0.8 inches from each other, they put them back in and fix them. Wow. That's how accurate they are. And the other one's a German revolver called a Korth. We have three, two Korths and three Mandurans. Wow. The Korth, yeah, I want to come see those. The Korths of five grand apiece. Wow. They're made by, by Willy Korth in Germany, and they, you just... They're just amazing guns. They're just special, all handmade. The How Manhurin, many shots in huh? the six? Six. The Manhurans are, are handmade. They've made a special tool steel. They're really tough stuff. And the GIGN, French Special Forces, that's what they train with. And in 1978, there was a, a hijacked plane, and these guys jumped the plane with revolvers, and they, they killed all the... Uh, they killed 
the bad guys except for one they wounded and they took him and the the, the gun the guy who ran it was shot but survived but that's what they shoot is revolvers wow. man urines well GIGN you know Have you I got because you're going from 17 or 18 shots to six yeah but yeah. but you use speed loaders drop a speed loader and twist yeah it. I, I'm not you know that's crazy I have, I had, I had a... Who's the guy that's so fast with the revolver? That yeah. He's got an eight-shot revolver. Yeah. I had, I had a Curtis LeMay gun. I bought some of Curtis LeMay's guns when he died. And I had one that Kurt took for me, and I didn't like it. But it was a, a unique gun, nine millimeter, double stack, a nine millimeter. And uh, Kurt took it, put it at auction. I paid three seventy-five for the gun. He got me six thousand bucks. Wow, that was good. <laughs> Not as good as the apple. Stock. That's right. <laughs> the apple. The but, other uh, lower price entry. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that was. Yeah, you know, that's the departure of, of, of benefit. You know. Hey, well, thanks, Bob. Man, I really appreciate you sharing those stories. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the John Wayne Gritcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you like what you heard, give us five stars in the Apple Podcast app and follow us on social media at John Wayne Official. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go.